This morning I thought it was uh, a good idea, maybe since our children have been learning about running the race that is before us with perseverance, that, that we as parents would get the same lesson that we would enter into and kind of finish out the week uh, sharing with our children uh, the same kind of things that they have been talking about. Because the Bible talks about the Christian life as a race in more than one place and gives us some instruction on exactly uh, what this life is to be like and how we're to live that out. It helps us to see the big picture. So as our kids find their place, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look just at the first two verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hear then the Word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated even now at the right hand of the throne of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning grateful for all that you have done this week and grateful to have gathered us even this morning to your presence to learn more about what it means to run the race that you have given us and set before us in this life in a way that pleases you. Would you capture our hearts and our imaginations afresh by this metaphor, by this picture? that we might understand and enter into more fully and wholeheartedly to the race that You have given us to run. That we may run well. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Bible says that life is like running a race, and that's what it says when it just picks up that metaphor and, and tells us to do it. It tells us that life is like running a race. And when it tells us that, it, it immediately when you take that metaphor and you start looking at it, it gives us some immediate things that it tells us, that it teaches us. It, we see a big picture and we get an idea of what God means for us. And so in verse 1, that metaphor is clearly given in the middle when he says that we should run. Let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. He mentions the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we have this cloud of witnesses, he's pointing back to chapter 11. And if you want to go back and get context on the race, therefore we have a cloud of witnesses. That there, there, there is a whole string of people that now, multi, you know, that, that now uh, is in numbers in the millions a great multitude that has run the race before us. We're not the first ones to enter into this thing. There are many who have gone before us. And so 11, chapter 11, in, in walking through and showing us some of the examples in the lives of these folks, says, therefore, with all these who have gone before, let us take up the race. Let us run, even as those before us have run with, his, with endurance. And so it tells us that we have this race to run. I don't know if you've ever watched the Olympics and you watch the track and field and watch a real race. You know, when, when people um, have trained and are serious about it and enter into a contest together on, on the field and they come to run that race, what, what's going on and how intense it is when these guys, these girls come out on the field after all their training, they have honed themselves for that moment 
And they set themselves to it. And they run the race that is set before them at that moment in time. It's very intense. God says life is like a race. Just like these runners with every fiber of their being bent themselves to the task of running the race, of reaching the finish line, of going where the race directs them, where God is directing them. And so for us, He says, life is like a race. And we're not meant to wander aimlessly through life. And this for some people is a, is a light bulb moment. The idea that they were not simply meant to wander aimlessly through life. Because a lot of times that's what we find ourselves doing. That life actually has a first and probably most important thing this metaphor tells us. The metaphor of a race is the idea that there's a start and there's a finish line. It puts parameters on it. And the finish line isn't just a, a random end. right? It's, it's, it's a goal, it's a line that we race to and, and the end result is judged. There are winners and there are losers. In other words, life is going somewhere. And everything between the start line and the finish line matters. It matters in how we run the race. And so it brings home to us this idea that we're meant to live in a certain way. That we're meant to live in a certain way. That, that's really what it brings home. There's a, there's a finish line and everything that's done between the beginning and the end matters as we head to that, to that end point. Life has purpose. Life has direction. Life has a goal. Life is going somewhere. And so the first thing as we think about our own lives in light of the metaphor that the Scripture gives us is to ask, begin to ask those questions to ourselves. Does my life have direction? Does my life have before it a, a clear and definitive goal? Am I going somewhere? And am I making progress? Right? That's what the image is giving us in the way that we should think in some ways about our life. And really, all of those questions are asking the big question, what am I living for? What's my life all about? It's perhaps the most important question any human being can answer. Being able to answer that question clearly is crucial to, to the way that we live life. What am I living for? Where am I going? Do I have a goal? Is my life making progress? Maybe if you think about it, you have no idea what you're living for. You haven't really thought about it. You haven't really you know, crystallized in your own mind what exactly it is you're, you're doing. I've heard the adage, and i found it to be true in almost every area of my life, that if you aim at nothing... You're very likely to hit it. Right? If you aim at nothing, you're very likely to hit it. And so it is really important. I think it is crucial. Maybe you have thought about it a little bit, or maybe if you think about it a little bit, you recognize that I haven't thought about it, but I am living for something. I'm, I'm living for the next promotion. You know, I'm, that, that really is what drives you know, my life forward, that next promotion, that next place, achievement, success, you know, progress in my business. Really, that's what I live for. 
Or maybe it's security and it's not just the job itself, but the financial security that it can bring and saving enough money or doing it like this, living a certain way. And so, so really what drives and floats my boat is living for that kind of financial security or maybe it's simply the pleasure that all that can buy that I really just live for myself. Too often that's what's wrong with a lot of marriages and a lot of other things. Is we enter into life and we enter into these things and the reality is we're simply living for ourselves. That makes it very hard on a marriage and on a family where there are children. On the opposite end of that spectrum is you may be living for your family. I saw a show this week and, uh, and it was about a family. It was a very touching thing, but in the end it said on the background, on the wall, it was literally written on the wall of their living room, family is everything. And don't get me wrong, I am family-friendly, family-promoting, believe in the health and life of a family, but I can tell you this, it's the wrong goal. And even the way we do family serves a higher purpose. Serves a higher goal. And, and the danger is that we get so funneled down in living for our family and their children and, and what they, they get to do or don't get to do and making sure they're around or this or that and we're living like this and actually we're leading our children astray by living for them. And it's not the right goal. I ran track in high school, believe it or not. Ran a 440 in those days. I think now it's like a 400. But it was the short sprint. I ran the mile. I ran the mile relay. I ran some hurdles, quarter mile hurdles. I ran 110 with the 10 high hurdles in between. And I'll tell you this, no matter what race you're running, you better know what race you're running. Because if you think you're running a mile and it's a 440, you're in trouble. And if you think you're, you're running a 440 and it turns out you're running the mile, you're going to run all wrong. Right? If you're going to run a mile, you have to pace yourself. You have to think differently about each quarter mile <laughs> that you've got to cross to get there versus the 440, which is you know, less than half a mile where you, you run. In other words, this, if, we, if you don't know what the race is, you don't know how to run. And so my friends, this morning as we step back is to say, what, what are we doing? The Bible says our life is a race. God says our life is a race. It has a finish line. Do you know what race you're running? What race it is you're in so that you know how to run? Because we don't know how to run the race, we will run poorly. And we may not realize that we're running poorly. There are many people who think they're running just fine until they figure out they're in the wrong race. And we may think we're running well and we may get to the finish line and find out we've been disqualified because we haven't followed the right rules of the race. We, haven't, we weren't running the right race. I've heard it said that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I've heard life is like a lot of things, a bowl of cherries, you know. You might, you might, if you said that life is like a stroll in the garden, then you might just say, wander freely. But it's clear that the Scripture doesn't. It's not a walk in the garden. It's a race. When God says run the race, He immediately tells us. And this is the thing about making it a race and not a stroll. And it never kind of takes us there. And it says that it's a race and it says that there is an end that will be judged. There's an end result that we are aiming for. There is something that we want to have accomplished at the end of it. And if you were in the race to win, you know what I'm talking about. And if life is like that, and you're in the game to win, so to speak. You know, people don't just say, 
let's race. I used to do that as a kid. I ran track. You know, I, I like to run. And so, I don't know, you see your kids do it. Let's, let's race. And does he just run off that direction? And the other kid runs that direction? You know, it's always no. Let's race to that tree. Right? It, it's set. The, the goal has to be set. Or they're like, it's just willy-nilly. People running everywhere. We don't do that. We say, I'll race you to that tree. It's going somewhere in particular. There's a goal. That's the whole idea that it's a race with winners and losers. And our passage gives us a glimpse of where things are going when it describes Jesus' race. Because verse 2, it switches from our race to Jesus' race, telling us that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, that is the race of faith, a life of faith, which is what is ultimately being described, who for the joy that was set before Him all has already run the race. He endured the cross, despising its shame, and He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is saying, see that tree? I'll race you there. Or I'll meet you there, so to speak. Right, where Jesus has landed at the right hand of the throne of God, where Jesus has landed, where, uh, where the race finishes at the finish line. He's gone before us and run the race. He's already crossed the line. And it's there at the throne of God that the race ends. That's where Jesus ended His race. After enduring the suffering and the shame of the cross, He sat there. And so I want to say as clearly as possible, it's, it's there I think in the passage there, but the, the entirety of the Bible, and especially the New Testament, makes clear as can possibly be that for every human being, the race ends there. At the throne, at the foot of the throne of God. The God who has made us. Who has made us for Himself who has made us in His image, who has made us with purpose and with direction. You know, and the God who has said, run, and in a sense, we're running to the day when we will stand in His presence. It's a common expression that nothing is certain in this life except death and taxes. At least that's what my father used to say. Nothing is certain in this life except death and taxes. In some ways, the Bible agrees with that statement. It's a whole thing about taxes and, uh, and you know, in the first king and there will be taxing. But that's a hundred, another whole question. But the idea that nothing is certain in life except its end. Everything in between is a little... Can be, you never quite know. It's like a box of chocolate in between maybe. I don't know. But the end is clear. Hebrews 9.27 tells us this, it is appointed for a man to die once. Men and women. That's nothing is certain in life except for this. And after that comes the judgment. And so we know that as certain as that day is as certain as the judgment. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul puts it this way in another letter. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, we will be judged on our race. Right? That that day, that this is, that this is where it is going. That there is that finish line. It's at the throne of God where we will, as in, the, as in common parlance, where we will meet our Maker. And in that meeting, there will be an accounting, is what the Scripture says. My friends, we live in a world that has lost sight of the finish line has lost sight of the idea that there is an accounting for things. 
that it matters. That what, hap- what, what happens between the beginning and that line, that day, matters. And we've lost sight of the finish line. We live without thought that someday I will stand before the Maker. And so we live for now, or we, we live for ourselves, or we may even live for our families. Or only for what the world offers for this moment. And we forget that all of it is part of a race that is taking me somewhere. Sometimes the world ignores that there is a finish line or just outright denies it. More and more in the culture that we live in, it simply denies that there is a finish line. That it is more like a garden and you just walk around and pick the fruit until you can't anymore. And that that's all there is. And it denies the idea that there is direction or purpose or a goal or a finish line of any kind. But I would say this, that even for those who say that there is no finish line and that it, that it is going nowhere and directionless, doesn't mean there isn't. Just like saying that there is no gravity doesn't mean if you jump off the 10th floor that you won't fall hard and fast. Right? Just saying that there isn't one doesn't make it so. We believe that God has said so very clearly. Or there are many who say, you know, I haven't denied that. I do believe there is a heaven. You know, I do believe there is, there is something at the end and that there is some kind of justice for the things that go on out there. You know, but it's for other people. See, it's people like Hitler. You know, for him, yes, there will be an accounting. You know, for some of the things I've been reading in the newspaper this week. For the things that go on, you know, for, for pedophiles and rapists and murderers. Yeah, for sure. For sure there is a judgment coming. For sure there is an accounting for them. But I'm not like them. We assume we're running well, that we're winning. But the question is, are we really? See, if we're judged in comparison to bad people, if I'm judged in comparison to Hitler, I'm pretty good. (laughs) I got it made. But what if we're not being judged in light of the worst, but we're being judged in light of the best? Which is really what the Scripture says. We're not judged around with other people and seeing, well, you ran better than so-and-so and no and so-and-so. You know, we're not judged. In, it says we're not judged in the worst. We're judged with the best. That the standard is, is Jesus Himself who was perfect in every way. In Him there was no sin, the Scripture tells us. A man who ran perfectly, who loved the Lord his God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord in every circumstance, in every relationship. And when we're compared to that one, we may not be running as well as we like to think we are. The totally righteous, holy and pure one. So the question, the crucial question is, what does winning look like? What does winning look like? How do we know that when we get to the finish line? How do we know that my standing when I cross the line before God is a good one? The text points to the answer because it tells us to run the race that is set before us. To run the race that is set before us. In other words, it's already mapped out. The path has been laid out before us. The direction that we are to go. My son Daniel, who's just turned 23, is running a triathlon here in Chattanooga in two or three weeks. And he's been in training for like eight months. Right? And he's running the triathlon here, but he made a trip to Chattanooga just well, he, while he was in Chattanooga. I wouldn't say it was just for that. He was in Chattanooga. He wanted to go down and look at the course. 
He wanted to see the mile he was swimming and what piece of the river that was in. And he wanted to see where he had to ride his bike. He had to ride the bike 26 miles. We want to see where he had to ride the bike, what the terrain was like. You know, it goes up 27 out of town, all the way up to 153, and then back. And so, but the map is raced, is mapped, the race is mapped out. And the, and the participant needed to know exactly what that is like because if you deviate, you are disqualified. There is a mapped out route for the race. It's true in every race. And even these guys who were writing 2,000 years ago, the Olympics had already been taking place for 750 years. They know about, they understand these things. The picture that they're giving is in the Olympic race. And it is mapped out. Run the race that has been set before us. It's very clear in the Scripture what that is. Because when we step away from the metaphor for a minute in the, the race of life that, it, it, that it's talking about, right? The whole metaphor of the race is, is the race of life. It is about how we live. It's about how we travel from, from the beginning until that finish line. And as the course of our life, as we travel through it, the mapped course is a life that is pleasing to the God who made us. That's the map. To live in a way that pleases the God who has made us, who set the course according to His own character and His own nature and who He is as He made us in His own image. And He mapped out the course and the way that we should live to the day that we stand before Him. And He says it's a life that ought to be pleasing to Him, that's in harmony with who He is. And it says in verse 1, you know, the, we have this cloud of witnesses, let us run. right? But we're to lay aside every weight and every sin that cling so closely to us. We cannot run that race of pleasing to Him with all the weight and sin that can hold us down and hold us back. You see runners, sometimes they'll shave their legs and shave their arms because that little bit of resistance, right? And you want, to, you want a nice clean surface. You want to be for, for breaking, uh, you know, cutting the wind and making it so they'll wear tight clothing and shave themselves. They want to lay aside every weight, everything that might hold them back and keep them from running well. And so the weight isn't necessarily, that's why it says weight and sin. There are many things in our lives that are just weights. They're not sinful. They're not wrong. They just keep us from running well. There are many things in my life that need to go on the wayside. There may be things I love to do and things that aren't displeasing to God per se, but they keep me from running well. We need to lay aside the weights and we need to very clearly to lay aside sin, which is anything that is displeasing to the God who made us. We're to lay Him aside and to run then toward Him. And so 1 Corinthians 9, Paul puts it this way again. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners are running, but only one receives the prize? Right? There's, there's a sense, one winner. And he says, every one of you ought to have the heart and the mindset so to run that you may obtain it. So to run that you will be the winner. Run well. Run like you want to win. Run like it matters. Run like, run like the wind. So that you may obtain it. Every athlete then goes and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. In those days, you just got a wreath. In our days, you get a medal. You know, they do it to get something that will perish. And he says, but we run for the day when things will last eternally. We don't run for something that will perish. We run for that which will be imperishable. And so, I don't run aimlessly. I run seriously. 
I don't box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I lay aside every weight and every sin. I discipline my body. I keep it under control so that I may run well for that day. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises that there is a day coming, let us purify ourselves of everything. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, to live in a way that pleases Him like an athlete honing his body for the race, that he only eats certain foods and he goes to bed at a certain time and he exercises a number of hours and he runs and he practices and his whole life, his whole power of his nature and his life come to bear on being the best runner he can be. So we bring our lives in line with God's Word so that in the end we may not be disqualified. And so we need a clear vision, a laser focus if we're going to run to win. Right? Every athlete does. The, the, the distracted runner is the poor runner. The distracted runner is often the disqualified runner or not the winning runner. Right? We need focus. We need to bring the whole power of our nature and the direction of our lives to this purpose. So let me ask you, is the goal of your life the finish line. As you stand before Him on that day. Do you live for that day? Have you, are you bending the powers of, your, of your, your, your life and your being to live the kind of life that pleases Him on that day? I don't mean is it one of your goals. I don't mean is it one of the side goals that you have. I mean are you running to win? Are you running to win that race? Because when you are, every aspect of life takes on that focus. If you're a, a young person here this morning, if you're a child, you've been in VBS, and what does it mean for us then to, to bend ourselves? It means how we talk to our parents and how we obey our parents and how we are part of the family. It means how we treat our friends and how we talk to our friends and don't talk about our friends in ways that we shouldn't and the ways that we are with our teachers and the ways that we do our schoolwork and all those different ways. That's, that is exactly what it means to run. How we run. How we do life. And if we're older, it means the quality of our work. It means how we do marriage and how we love our spouse and how we treat people and spend money and care for the hurting. Every thought, every word, every deed. Having said all that, let me say this, and I close with this thought. That even before you can put your feet on the starting blocks, I, I hope that as I'm saying that, every, every thought, every word, every deed is the race that we run to that day. That even as you hear me say that, there should be a part of you that says, uh-oh. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you, I have just laid on you something that you cannot bear. See, the key to the race is not only the way we run, it is, and don't get me wrong, how we run is at the center of, of who we are in our lives. But I would say this, that the Scripture tells us in this passage here, and you need to hear this if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this, the key to the race is this. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. The author, right? The author, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It is looking to Jesus. The One who has run the race before us. The One who has lived the God-honoring life 
before us. The one who has lived the life that you and I failed to live. Even as we set out to run this race with all of our hearts, bending the powers of our being to run the race for that day, that you and I know that every day we fail that race. Every day we do things, we think things, we say things. And we know that is how I, however hard I try to run. We are not Olympians. We do not do all that we should do. But what it tells us here is that Jesus ran before us. We're to run the race that Jesus has already run. We're to look to the One who ran the race of faith and who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross and its shame. And He sat down and He's waiting for us on the other end, so to speak. And so He presents Himself to us as a Savior to those who would run the race and know that we fail day by day to run the race that God has set out for us. And Jesus, He has run the race already and He endured the cross in its shame. That, why did He go to the cross? But to pay the price for our sin, for the weights and sins that we that cling so closely. However hard we try to shed them day by day. That Jesus paid the price for our failure to run as well as we should. For our failure, however hard we try, we fall short of the glory of God. And He did it for the joy, He says, that was set before Him. What is the joy? But you and I who would follow Him. You and I who would run after Him. And the joy is that He would save us from ourselves and our inability to run the race. That He would save us and that the victory would be assured in Him. And so in Hebrews 7, 25, a few chapters uh, before the one we're looking at, it says this, that He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who would draw near to the finish line, to the throne of God, through Him. He would save to the uttermost those who know their race is not a perfect race and know that they fall short. That if we put our faith and our trust in Christ to save us from ourselves and our, and our own bad running, you know, if we would trust in Him, it says that, that, that we are set free from fear. That as we go to run every day, we don't, we don't have to run with fear and with anxiety and trepidation and whether I'm going to measure up on that day. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He has run my race in a sense for me already. He has lived the life I failed to live and by faith in Christ, He is able to forgive us of our sins and forgive us for bad running and He is able to set us free from fear and guilt so that on that day the victory is already ours. Even as you dust yourself off this morning, I know I failed yesterday, but every morning we rise and His mercies are new and I can get up and run. We still run. We still run in the way of pleasing Him. We still live for that day, but we do it with joy. We can do it for the joy set before us, just like He did. Because He is a Savior, a perfect Savior, who has already accomplished everything for us and offers us forgiveness and mercy that will be ours on that day. He is able to bring and save to the uttermost those who draw near to the finish line through faith in Him. My friends, Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says this, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize 
of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what I do. Whatever your yesterday was, I am forgetting what was behind. You know, the way you're going to run good today and tomorrow is to forget yesterday. And it is His mercy that He forgives our sins. That He forgives and sets us free. That I can forget yesterday and run today. And I can do one thing. I can, as He said, there, that it's a picture of a runner. You see Him straining toward what is ahead. Like a runner bent on His goal. One thing I do is I forget what is behind. And I strain toward what is ahead. The high calling. The prize that is in Christ. The day when I will stand before the Father, the throne on the finish line with Christ my Savior seated at His right hand pleading for me. Saving me. Oh, if you've not put your faith and your trust in Christ, today is the day to do it. And if you have and you've been sidelined, you've been sitting around watching the race, you've been distracted, you've wandered off course, today is the day to focus again. To renew your strength. And to get in the race. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us so well. That you not only made us in your own image, you've not only set out for us a purpose and a direction in our lives, but when we fail to keep it, you have given us a Savior. A Savior who can cover our sins, pay for our sins, and offer us forgiveness and lead us into a life before you that is without fear. Oh, would You set us free from our fear that we may run well. That we might run toward You and not away from You. We might get up and get in the race by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, perfect Savior, in whose name we pray this morning. Amen.